The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan on News Talk. We're going to kick things off as we always do with our afternoon update. And with me for today, Ian Power, the CEO at spunout.ie, and Wendy Grace, the broadcaster and columnist. You are both very, very welcome. And we might start with RTE, the uh, beleaguered broadcaster. Um, Wendy, I mean, as somebody kind of working in the industry, how have you interpreted the last? 20-odd hours. I have to echo Pat Leahy's headline today where he said, Dear God, will the RT saga ever end? That's probably the one I identify with the most. Look, I suppose it comes down to the big question, who knew what when? I do find... um, I, I feel that the comments made by the minister last night that she was aiming to meet Junior Rattling this morning a little bit disingenuous. I think if you're really trying to have a dialogue with someone, you're probably not going to go on national, national TV and effectively throw them under the bus. Obviously, she's denying that, but that is, in essence, what happened. You know, a lot of saying, look, this is a live sacking on TV. What it comes down to is, you know... It, the department, we believe, knew on October 10th all of the details. So if the department knew, why did the minister not know? So what happened? And surely at this point, why is there no kind of disclosure of here's the note, here's the document, here's the, here's the email, here's the minutes? As of yet, that hasn't happened. There's a, a frantic amount of arse covering going on, I would imagine, uh, behind the scenes in the department, Ian, because, I mean, if, if, if misleading the minister is enough to be expected to fall on your sword, which is kind of the, the, the implication from the interview with Catherine Martin last night and what happened afterwards. Surely the same applies to officials within the department. Yeah, and I mean, it's not sure. You no, know, sauce th- for the goose, it's sauce for the gander. Absolutely. And you have to wonder, you know, was there a bit of ass covering in terms of going on primetime last night? You know, what was the motivation to do that interview? I mean, you know, and and yes, who did that note from Shuni Ratley go to on the 10th of October in terms of the note around the Richard Collins exit package that had been approved by the remuner- remuneration committee? Like, I just don't really understand how, you know, the minister goes on primetime to ask questions that she could have gotten the answers to by just picking up the phone and ringing Shuni Rally. You know, she was at pains to point out that that's the line of communication is between her and the chair of the board. She surely has her mobile number. I don't understand why a Zoom was needed to be set up for 10 o'clock in the morning, you know, where she could have actually just got the answers right there and then she had enough time to communicate mm-hmm. with the party leaders to tell them that she was going on prime time. So, you know, I, I just kind of the, the motivation doesn't really stack up. And, and as well, you have to think that it was a really bad move, you know, in the sense that we've now lost the chair of the RTE board. I mean, you know, I think Shuni Ratley had made some mistakes. Everybody does. It's not been an easy, you know, 10 months or however long. I mean, it was around this time last year or there not too long after uh, when the chair was made aware of this in the first instance, the whole Ryan Tuberty scandal. So she's had a pretty, you know, difficult 12 months of it. I can understand the the kind of the issue in terms of, you know, if you're sitting in the room with the minister and the minister says, did this go before the board? I mean, the actual correct answer answer is no, it did not. It went to a board subcommittee. Absolutely. And I know that might seem like semantics to people. But when you're involved in various governance structures, particularly of state bodies, like there is a difference between all of these things. And to be fair to Shuni Rahli, she reached out to the minister's office yesterday to clarify it, you know, of her own accord. It wasn't something that the minister found out by accident, you know, and, and understandably, you'd be quite cross in that scenario. But like, I mean, I think Shun has tried to be as forthcoming and transparent, you know, as she has, as she can be. Uh, Wendy, Catherine Martin herself has come in for no shortage of criticism either since this uh, story broke. And the nature of the criticism generally is that she has kind of shown weakness and she hasn't kind of 
grab this this story by the scruff of the neck and stamped authority on it. I mean, is that what this was an attempt to do? Uh, do yeah, you think? I don't think that she has taken any real ownership of it. It's interesting though that I believe that the minister wasn't aware of D Forbes' resignation in advance either. So there obviously hasn't been the best communication all along the way. However, this week we know that there was hours of meetings that took place prior to the, the programme on Primetime. So you would have thought it was at those meetings that, whether it's the minister or members of her department, that this was kind of discussed. And and also, it, well, the other thing that will be interesting is to see what's going to happen next in regards to Shuni Rahlig, because obviously when D Forbes resigned, you know, there, then she just was gone. You know, she wasn't, didn't have to answer any more questions, whereas surely it would be more beneficial to have those questions answered prior to a resignation being given. And and look, I know we can kind of take the moral high ground and and say, you know, the public interest, you should kind of continue to to present yourself and answer these questions. I mean, when you look at the grandstanding that goes on sometimes at these uh, uh, doll committees, and that's not a criticism of all the politicians, some asking really pointed questions and good questions. But I mean, I'd be tempted if I had resigned and I wasn't being compelled to kind of say... Sorry. Well, the unfortunate thing here is, as Ian said, you know, Shun has an impeccable CV. I and mean, when you look at all the kind of things that she's been involved in over the years, from TG Carr to Tina G to uh, the Sunday Tribune, we now have someone who has r- excellent experience that's needed in RT. And that experience is now not going to be utilised anymore. So that that's kind of a, a real shame that's going to happen. But um, I guess it just comes back to the overall picture is... Who is RT actually accountable to? You know, because the, why is there interest in this this week when these payments happened months ago and knowledge of these payments to someone in the department was known months ago? It's because it hit the headlines last week. So all of a sudden TDs are up in arms about it, right? Because it's a news story. Great distraction for them from other issues. Um, but ultimately, who's RT accountable to? Is it to... Um, executives that are getting golden handshakes that have particular NDAs? Or is it to us, the taxpayer who are funding partially RT. Where's the accountability there? We have a right to know where that money is going. And why was there why was there an agreement to non-disclosure agreements or confidential confidentiality agreements in the first place? That's also a question that I think needs to be asked because there, there is while there is legal implications for RT divulging such information it can, it can go the other way where those who have received these payments can divulge mm. it clearly. You know, there's nothing stopping them doing that. Mm. And I think Simon Harris made a good point this morning on the radio. He was, you know, suggesting that RTE can publish amounts in the aggregate from these exit packages. Like, you know, yes, maybe you can't divulge the individual specific details of, of, of people, but actually there's been a few. So, so why not publish the actual details in the aggregate or the process or the kind of formula that was used to arrive at a number for a particular person? I think that would be fair enough. Um, obviously, we have some idea of the quantity of, of Rory Co- Coveney's package but in terms of Richard Collins we're, we're kind of known the wiser. I do think that the Minister has made a political mistake. I think it's been a bit of a fumble because as she rightly pointed out herself on, on primetime last night she has commissioned two reports that are due to land on her desk in mm. the next week or so and really that's the government initiative and you know there's really uh, you know well regarded people Neve Brennan obviously corporate governance expert who's who's behind one of them and, and those will be really valuable reports and now those are somewhat kind of tainted and coloured kind of in the sense that you know now the focus is going to be on this drama as opposed to actually real substantive reports that actually have something meaningful to contribute to the future of RT. Another question you might have for Catherine Martin um, is that you know on the face of it now it seems that her position was that she had confidence in Shuani Rahalek when she thought that the board and the oversight committee of the board 
didn't approve the uh, payoff to Richard Collins, as should have been the case, and she has lost faith when it turns out they did do their job. Like it, that, that's kind of the, the 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 ironic thing in all of this is actually what what we've had confirmation of is that actually what what is meant to happen from a corporate governance point of view did happen. It's just the Shuani Rahalig kind of misrepresented that possible, you know, kind of inadvertent commas to yeah. the minister. Yeah, and, and inadvertently and not with any intention to do so. so as the she misrepresentation has said in her is a kind of a firing offence, but. The board not doing its job. I mean, she was perfectly fine with that up until prime time yesterday. Yeah, well, I think it speaks yeah. to. I think it speaks to a lot of the issues around this whole case. Like you know, it, it, it's all about what it appears to be, right? So, what does it look like in the media as opposed to actually what is the outcome for RTE? That's what a lot of this has been. It's been showbiz, kind of. It's been kind of a big, high-profile drama as opposed to actually this is really important. This is public service broadcasting, and and a lot of it's about you know, did the board approve of it or not, um, and were they involved and who knew what when as opposed to actually what is the correct process to have been followed um, and I think that's the challenge here. And the other question probably people are wondering well who else got what? You know, yeah. is that, are we going to be are we going to be talking about this again next month? You know, as we drip read more information. Well, again, who else got what? I mean, all those letters going back. It's eight letters back to people who left since 2016. I imagine not many of them are going to get a positive response. No. Um, uh, the Labour senator Mary Sherlock is actually on the line. Uh, senator, you're welcome to the show. Um, I know your party leader was uh, speaking uh, to us on on uh, breakfast briefing here in News Talk this morning uh, and expressed no faith in the minister Catherine Martin. It was time for her to go. What's your view? Well, look, I think the first thing to say is we're utterly frustrated that we are still talking about RTE. And, you know, bear in mind that the longer this crisis drags on, not only does it hurt RTE staff, but it also hurts the whole of the independent sector as well, who, you know, rely on RTE for, 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 for drama, for content generation and all of that of commissioning. So with regards to the events over the last 24 hours, um, it's you know they've been farcical to be to be frank about it. Yeah. So we have a minister taking to the airwaves um, to effectively air her grievances um, about the chair of the board. That she, you know the, 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 she, she appointed Shuni Rahalik, and to preempt the outcome of a meeting that was due to take place this morning, uh, and, and, and to our mind, effectively you know give her the boot on air or effectively, you know, speaking words that were to give that effect. Like, ultimately, we, we need the government to take control of this crisis yeah. as opposed to deepening the crisis. And the minister deepened the crisis last night. Is the minister capable of taking control, in your view? I think she's been on the back foot since this crisis emerged. And I, I think Catherine Martin has done some really important and, and really good stuff where they are. Um, but with regards to the RT crisis, she has been on the back foot. She has shown that she hasn't asked the, the right questions. There seems to be an issue now within her department as, to, as uh, you know, with regards to what information was given to her or not. Um, you know, that led to a situation that she actually went on air last night and didn't seem to be in full possession of the facts of what came into her department. So she's and, not, you don't, you don't, you don't have faith in her? No, and, 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 and look, you know, very regretfully took the step this morning to say that we don't believe that her position is, is tenable. You know, we don't believe that Catherine Martin as Minister for Media can take control of this crisis and ultimately ensure that RT is put on a footing and that it can survive and thrive. And this is, this is what's at stake here. Um, as I said at the very start of this interview, like that we're still talking about RT yeah. and that this crisis has been exacerbated by the Minister herself. 
because sti- of how she chose to deal with it last night. We're still talking about it, as he as, as says, uh, two, two more reports uh, incoming. Kevin Backer told us on the show yesterday, he still has to put the meat on the bones of his strategic vision. That's not going to happen uh, until uh, closer to the end of April. Then that lands on the minister's desk. And then uh, we wait uh, response to those letters sent out to everybody who got a payout since uh, 2016. <laughs> we have to wait and see. Uh, there are more, maybe more yet to come. Uh, Labour Senator Mary Sherlock. Uh, Senator, thanks a million for joining us. We're going to come back to this after five. Like I say, the RT board have met um, in the last little while. Uh, no word of any resignations yet, though there had been some speculation that they might resign en masse and we'd be back to the early 70s um, again uh, uh, in terms of uh, leadership at RTE. Um, there is going to be a statement from the Minister as well, Catherine Martin as well, and that should come in the next 30 minutes or so. So we will update you on that. Uh, Ian Power and Wendy Grace are both still with me. Um, I do want to ask you about baby names. So people love this every year. <laughs> we certainly love it every year uh, when uh, baby names um, are revealed. So, I mean, no surprise. Uh, Jack Jack has been top of this chart for years and years. I think James, years. James took it for one year in the middle there somewhere. Mm. Um, Grace is back up uh, near the top. Uh, it is back at the top. It's been close to the top as well for the last few years. Did you go on? You can go on and put in your own name. Did you do this? No. And it shows you. Oh, Ian, have you done it? No, not really. Sh- I've done. I did it for both of you. <laughs> okay. It shows you. What's it reveal? It shows you. It goes back to all all the previous census data that's online, and it tells you what years and where you came. Okay. So when, what, when, when would you say your name was most popular, I Wendy? Did I ever make the list? Ah, oh, Wendy, you were supremely popular. When Peter popular. Pan was released, probably right well, that, that was about time. Nineteen oh two, I think. Was it? <laughs> uh, it's a newer version. It doesn't go back that far. If John, you know, maybe it has something to do with that because it was the mid seventies. Well, you see, I have. Had this romantic notion that my mum and dad went to see Peter Pan or something to do with that. And you know when you tell a story to yourself as a child over and over again, you think yeah, it's true. And then I true. said to my dad, my dad was like, "No, I dated a girl called Wendy, and I really liked her, and I just loved the name oh since then." Oh my god! Childhood ruined <laughs> in that moment. That's brilliant. brilliant. Uh, the mid seventies, anyway. That's a great story. Uh, the mid seventies is when Wendy was most popular. Mid eighties for yeah, Ian. Well, that's when eighty seven was a yeah point, so, yeah. Kieran had a good run from the mid sixties to the late seventies, oh, and well. then. What is that? Like Kieran the Irish with economy, two thousand nine, <laughs> off a cliff. After that, Kieran with a K. You see, I, I suspect if you allowed the different variations of the name, maybe yes, I, maybe, maybe I'd be slightly yeah. more popular. Um, but it is interesting. I guess it tells you something about the nature of the country as well, because people will remember kind of the popularity of the name Mohammed, kind of climbing up through the mm. ranks last year as well, which is reflective of kind of a new Ireland. Yeah, it's really interesting. And like, I mean, the thing for me is that if I was naming a baby, which I won't be, um, you know, the only thing I'd be doing is I'd be going to the list to like make sure that I'm not naming it one of the top five names kind of so that there's not four. You want something unique? Ian. Well, it's just, I think diversity is nice. It's interesting. You know, I, you know, I feel sorry for people when there's four people in the same classroom with the same name and you're trying to figure out who the teacher is actually talking to. Yeah, well, we have a Grace at home and at Camogie, there's about four of them, I have to say. It's kind of Grace, <laughs> one, the manager. Grace, the other Grace, not that Grace. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think I, when I think of my children's names, the first one was definitely Panic uh, Post Labour. I have loads of girls in my head. It's a boy. And my husband just said Matthew. So that was my first child's name. And my last child is Sive because I like to play. Oh, so there's a little bit of a that, story. That's nice, yeah. Tell, cr- tell the story in reverse order. Yeah. <laughs> yeah the side one is nicer. <laughs> well, I called her S-A-G-H-B-H because Sive the play is quite sad. So I liked the name but didn't like the kind of sad ending. Won't give it away in case anyone's going to see it. And my middle child is Christopher, which I love, but I regret every time I'm doing the mum task of stamping out names on yeah. a cake, you know, and you have to make it about the And do you shorten it ever, Chris? No, and that's my Or mother. Topher. 
Topher no. Grace. Remember uh, Topher Grace, the actor in that 70s show? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's Christopher. My, no, well, no, not That's that. actually what my parents were going to call me, except... Topher! No, Christopher. <laughs> <laughs> except, uh, yeah, my mom didn't like the idea of people shortening it to Christy, so she said, no, Ian, you can't really shorten it, you can only lengthen it, so... Yeah, that's true. My cousin has two sons, says one listener, both are named Jack. <laughs> Not sure how that happened. I'd love if that person is still listening. Please explain. Yeah. Um, anyway, oh eight seven fourteen hundred one zero six. Listen, before I let you go, there was one other story actually that was kind of in the ether today. Um, and Wendy, it's I mean, it's to do with this woman who had a kind of a personal injury claim thrown out because you know video emerged of her, one of her kind of wrestling with her dog at a dog training class, but uh, remarkably of her throwing a Christmas tree? Yes, yeah, so she actually tree. won the Christmas tree throwing oh, competition. So obviously very talented in that regard, but doesn't really stack up well when you're in court in front of a judge and you're looking for 760,000 euros. Right, so she's had her, her, her claim thrown out, but I mean, does it speak to a compensation culture that you think exists? Well, this is an issue that's been, in terms of the, the level of our claims in this country, it's much higher than our European counterparts. And there was new guidelines introduced around this time last year, which has resulted resulted in less payouts, but the number of claims has stayed the same. But interestingly, the number of seeking payouts for crash damage has gone up. But um, I guess it's just uh, this case obviously went before the court. The insurance company obviously decided to fight it rather than paying out. So you're kind of wondering, well, how much more of this kind of is going on that it's not discovered? Obviously, the impact on all of us is that it's raising, I would say everyone listening, their insurance premiums have gone up Mm. in the last year. I think it's around 25% that has an impact on everyone. Um, But then there's also costs associated with the insurance companies having to go to court as well so that's kind of adding to it too but you do kind of wonder in an era of where everything is documented social media um, she actually posed for the picture of winning the Christmas tree Uh, probably not the smartest move Probably not. Yeah, it's particularly brazen, I think, to enter a Christmas tree throwing competition when you know that you're going to be up in court uh, because you've got a a personal injury claim being assessed. Um, I think it was interesting, the dog training thing, the video, it's not sure how that surfaced or where that came from. So I I, I do, and I have seen kind of in cases like this, you know, there's a lot of surreptitious kind of recording and and people, investigators going around following people and things like that. Yeah, Yeah, and I mean, look, you know, fair enough, there there might be a a case for it, but... you know, I think it probably needs some sort of regulation in terms of it's, it's essentially kind of stalking a little bit, isn't it? So uh, I don't know. Kit no. is apparently the short version of Christopher. So somebody else, what are you talking about, Tover here? <laughs> and another listener, I love the names thing, I'm sorry. I very deliberately gave my daughter a name, not in the top 100. Her name is Rhiannon. Many people assume I named her after the pop star Rihanna. Isn't okay. there is a Rhiannon Giddens playing Rhiannon. in Baker Street this weekend? There is. There yeah. is. Well, unfortunately, my mother and mother-in-law never had a look in when they knew I was having a little girl because their names are Phyllis and Hilda. So early on, I had to say, look, ladies. <laughs> uh, so, names sorry, are out. Phyllis. Sorry, Hilda. <laughs> Not You're out. You're out. Uh, Wendy Grace, Ian Power, thank you both very, very much uh, for joining me for the afternoon update. The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan. Weekdays from four on News Talk.